Uh, you and I <laughs> have something in common if you know Christ as your Savior. No matter how different we might be individually, all of us who know Jesus share the same reality. We have been called out of death and into life. The book of Colossians tells us God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. And Jesus himself said we have crossed over from death into life. And that happened for us when we put our trust in him. For we're saved by faith and by faith alone. That's how we began this new life in Christ. And it is only by faith that we can live the Christian life. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is essential to living the Christian life. And faith is one of the three family traits shared by all Christians, the other two being hope and love. And we talked about hope and love earlier, and we have already spent several weeks talking about faith, how faith uh, is a family trait and it comes from God, that it's pervasive in our lives. And even the smallest amount of real faith is a powerful force in our lives and in the world today. We talked about the change within that accompanies our faith as uh, it puts us into that right relationship with God. And yes, it does that, but it also makes our character distinctly Christian. Today, we're going to bring that discussion of faith to a close uh, as we talk about the fact that faith works. Uh, the faith that is inside of us works its way out into all of life. Faith translates into action. Faith works. And there are three broad ways in which it does. It's by faith that we are saved, but it is also by faith that we stand. And then it is by faith that we make our way through this life. And faith also brings us to the place of obedience. And we're going to take a closer look at each of those. And, um, and the first one we're going to note is that as Christians, we stand by faith. So Paul the Apostle wrote to the Corinthian church in 15.1, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. In the second letter in our Bible to that same church, the apostle said to them in chapter 1 and verse 24, as he was correcting them on some matter, he says, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. Indeed, sometimes it seems all we can do is to stand, but whatever we do, we must stand. And so Ephesians 6.13 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground 
And after you have done everything, to stand. Faith is meant to work, and by faith, we stand. Now, maybe you saw that movie, uh, Unbroken. It's based on a true story of an Olympic athlete, Louis uh, Zamparelli, and he was caught up in World War II. He, he was shipwrecked, but near the point of death as they were uh, floating out in the ocean, they were plucked from the sea by the enemy, by the Japanese Navy. And the story centers around his time as a prisoner of war where he was particularly singled out by the camp commander because he was an Olympian. And the commander decided to break him, to humiliate him. Uh, as a kind of example, I suppose, uh, of the power of Japan and the weakness of America. But nothing he could do. And he mistreated that man terribly. He was able to break his spirit. And then near the end of the movie, and in great frustration and anger, the commander ordered him to stand erect and hold this heavy load over his head. And, and he positioned, he stationed a man, a soldier, in front of him with a rifle, aimed at his chest with the orders to shoot if he lowered that load. It was an impossible task. And he stood there, and as he stood, he grew weaker and weaker, and the load was sinking ever lower and lower. But he kept standing, and he kept struggling, and even his Japanese guards began to take pity on him, and he grew weaker still. And when it seemed as though he would lose all strength, that he would finally fail, somehow he rallied, and he stood straight up again, and lifting that load high above his head, he stood and he would not be cowed. He remained unbroken. He was the victor. The commander, in, in anger and fear, turned away. He could watch no longer. He was defeated. And Lewis stood. And when he did all that he could do, he stood. And so he won the victory. Later on, he returned to Japan as a missionary, bringing the love of Christ to those who were his enemies. He ministered the love of Christ to his former enemies. And that commander of that camp refused to meet him. He never got over his defeat. But Zamparelli continued to walk in victory. And like Lewis, we are to stand like soldiers in a battle, we must hold our ground. And when the battle rages around us, when all seems lost, we hold our ground. We stand. And yet it's not in our own strength that we do so. Whatever power we might possess is not enough, and it soon gives out. Whatever strength is in us must be all used up. But then when it is, we discover another source of might. Our eyes turn to our God and his power begins to flow through us. And like Zamparelli, we find we can stand straight up again and we will win the victory by faith. By faith we stand. And so we grow strong. And we stand and it matters to other believers. And your Stand. They make all the difference in the life and eternity of an unbeliever. Faith works. It's how you and I stand. And we stand and resist the evil one.
You know, we have an enemy worse than the commander of that Japanese prison camp. He's stronger, more wily, more subtle, more persistent, and he is completely evil. He's out to destroy us, but by faith we resist him. By faith we defeat him. In 4.7, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And in Ephesians 6.16 says that we're to put on the full armor of God. And in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So maybe you've seen uh, in the movies, not in real life, of course, but maybe you've seen scenes of ancient battles where the archers are a long way off and they take and they, they shoot their arrow up in the air, right, in a long arc and it flies way up there and then comes down and it rains on their enemy. And sometimes those arrows are set on fire before they shoot them. And when those arrows fly then the defenders make a shield wall, and they hide behind that. Each man with his shield protects himself and helps protect others. The shield keeps the arrow from finding its mark. Our faith is a shield. It protects us from the attacks of the evil one. And so when the attack comes, we turn to our God. We look to him to rescue us. We remember that he has already defeated the enemy. And by faith, we're protected. If we're tempted, we confess it. We tell God again of our weakness. We look to him for strength. He provides a way of escape, and by faith, we take it. When, when we are in, and if we were ever in, the power of an enemy in a nation, and if our nation ever became a place where we are persecuted, for our faith, and people want to destroy us, at that point we will remember that we are not to become overcome by evil, but we are to overcome evil by good. And by faith, we take our stand. By faith, this frail human frame overcomes an enemy who greatly overmatches us. Faith works. By faith, we stand. And by faith, we resist our enemy. And then to do it, it's not just the spiritual adversaries that we face, but the whole world is arrayed against us. And yet, by faith, we overcome the world. In his first letter, the beloved disciple John writes this truth in 5.4. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. As we take our stand, our faith overcomes the world. You know that story of the hobbit? You might recall that uh, scene where Bilbo is uh, separated from his companions and he's lost in the goblin tunnels. And while he's lost, he, he finds a ring. And unbeknownst to him, that ring has the power to make one invisible. And the ring has been the property of Gollum. And though it's not really his, he's claimed it as his own and he's brooded over it for many a long year. Bilbo and Gollum meet. Bilbo wants to find a way out of the tunnels and back to his friends. Gollum not quite hungry, he wants to have a competition of riddles, a deadly competition. If Gollum stumps Bilbo, uh, Gollum gets to eat Bilbo. (laughs) 
But if Bilbo baffles Gollum, then Gollum's going to show him the way out of the darkness. So Bilbo wins the competition, but, but Gollum's wicked. And he decides he's going to eat Bilbo anyway. He goes to his little island to get his ring, but he can't find it. And it realizes all of a sudden that Bilbo must have it. And the chase that ensues, they run up the tunnels, and, and the ring accidentally slips onto Bilbo's finger, making him invisible. And Gollum runs right by him in the dark. And then Bilbo follows him, and he learns the truth as Gollum is talking to himself as he's going up the tunnel looking for Bilbo. And, and Bilbo now knows the way to get out, but Gollum is sitting there at the tunnel that he needs to escape from. He's between Bilbo and his freedom. And then Gollum becomes aware through long years of living in the dark that Bilbo's near. Gollum tenses. And Bilbo knows he's found out. And with nothing else to do, Bilbo leaps. He jumps over Gollum. And Gollum rises up. He jumps and his hands reaching high and clasps on empty air. Bilbo was higher than he was and he races down the tunnel and finds his freedom. He overcame the goblins and Gollum. He overcame the world. Like the sea rising, the world reaches out with all of its power that it can muster to try to drag it into itself. But by faith, we rise higher still. We overcome that wave. We stand on solid ground. We overcome the world by our faith. The arrows of our enemy can't reach us. The world can't overpower us. We stand. By faith, we stand. Faith works. And by faith, we overcome or overthrow the mountains in our life. So in his last week of life here on this earth, uh, uh, one uh, of his daily trips to Jerusalem, Jesus had a conversation with his disciples, and it was recorded for us in Mark 11, verse 22, where he said this to them, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not to doubt, uh, doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. And therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. You see, the obstacles in our life, which are too big for us to overthrow, uh, not by our own strength can we do it, but by faith we can do it. Now, I have to be honest with you. I have to tell you that some people... Um, will be critical of the way I've interpreted this promise from Jesus. Now, both my critics and I would agree that Jesus isn't um, giving us a landscaping license here so we can rearrange the Himalayas. He is using the mountain and its side to, to size to illustrate the power of faith. And we both agree on that point, too, that, that faith is powerful. There's no disagreement there. But they would say this. His intent was to tell of the power of faith in general. He doesn't say anything specifically about problems. And, and I guess, I suppose, in a sense, I kind of agree with that. It may indeed mean more, but it certainly doesn't mean less. 
And yet still, the mountain's gotten rid of. It's cast into the sea. It's no longer part of the picture. And I have trouble in my own mind imagining any other scenario which fits here. The disciples would soon enough themselves be facing uh, monumental obstacles to the living the Christian life. Obstacles that would require them to walk by faith. So maybe you don't limit this promise to just the overthrowing of problems and obstacles in, my, in our lives. But don't forget it either when you face those things. And yet I want you to notice what's happening here. We're first told to put our trust in God. And then we tackle the problem, and verse 24 tells us how we do that. We do that by prayer. And then, if we have enough faith, and remember, we've seen this before, that enough faith is the smallest amount of faith that is real faith. It's a genuine belief. But if you have enough faith, just the smallest amount of real faith, then what we ask will be done for us. It will be done for us. You and I cannot move the mountains. But we serve a God who can. He could skip that mountain across the face of the sea like we throw a stone across the pond if he so desired. Now, if I stopped right there... I would be doing you a disservice. To begin with, some of the things in our life, our besetting sins, our bad habits developed long ago, they're not easily gotten rid of. I mean, God can simply take them away. Sometimes he does. But that's not the normal way that he does things. He is in the process of growing people of faith. And our faith won't grow unless it's tested and unless it's challenged. And the right way to think about these things, these besetting sins, these habits of long have been established in your life, it, it, is to see yourself as making your way through a mountain range. No sooner do you overthrow one mountain than another one comes into view. Sometimes it's close, sometimes it's a bit farther away, but it stands no more chance against a person of faith and all the rest of them that you overcame before, which you've been cast into the sea. And, and some of you men, some of you women too, are struggling with the sin of pornography. I know you're out there. I don't know who you are, but I know you're there. This is a mountain, and you know it. You felt its weight every time you fail. It's heaped some of its dirt, its dirt and its rocks on your back, and you're carrying a heavy load because of it. And God will cast into the heart of the sea that burden if you put your faith in him and call out to him. But there's another one just like it down the road, another temptation. But here's the good news. God is walking that road with you. And your sin and your failure do not deter him. He has promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. The mountain that puts all of its weight on you is no match for God. Now, there are people here who know what you're going through. 
They have been where you are, and they will walk you, with you and help you as you make your way. Chris, I, I'm going to ask you to stand up. Any of you are having a problem in that area, Chris can help you. And if you're a woman, you come talk to my wife, not that she's had a problem, but she'll point you in the right direction if you need help there. Thanks, Chris. Have a seat. Others of you, um, others of you have a bit of a cat in your soul. Both men and women are known to meow. Uh, someone rubs you the wrong way, and you rub them the wrong way right back. And then both of you go around with your hackles raised. And the issues seem to be so small on the outside, so insignificant that they are not worth the breath it would take to tell of them. But somehow they are mountains, so you ignore or snub or slight or mistreat someone whom Christ died for. Won't you put those things away? Won't you put your faith in God and ask him to help you? He will cast that mountain into the heart of the sea. Another one just like it on the, on the horizon, maybe even from the same person. And yet none of them is bigger than God. I'm not saying you need to allow someone to mistreat you, though sometimes even that is required of us. But you do know the difference between an intentional abuse and the cat inside of you scratching to get out. We, all of us, are walking through our own personal mountain ranges. And God is bigger than all of the mountains put together. The other thing we need to know about overthrowing the mountains in our life is that some mountains are not meant to be overthrown. God has placed them in our paths as a kind of permanent fixture in this life. And God is glorified in your life as you live as a child of God in the shadow of that mountain. A parent with a disabled child dearly wishes that mountain didn't exist. But he or she accepts it along with the child they love as they bring glory to God every single day of their life as they love that child. Jesus is our example. His prayer in Gethsemane is our model. Father, if you are willing to take this cup away from me, do it, and yet not my will but yours be done. Faith means you trust God. And you stand at those times in the shadow of the mountain. Faith works. We stand, we've done all we do, all we can do. We stand. We resist the enemy, not in our own strength, but by faith. We overcome the world as it tries to sweep us away in its dissipation. But when the wave is swept by, we remain. We overthrow the mountains in our life, or we live in their shadow, all by faith and all to the glory of God. Faith works. It enables us to stand. The second broad way in which faith translates into actions is faith is the way we walk through life. Now, I have to be more crisp. 
more concise because of the restraints of time. So I'm right now only going to mention that it is by faith that God answers our prayer. I mean, we just talked about that in relation to overthrowing mountains. And, and prayer will be, by God's grace, a topic at a time in the future I think we're due in the next year or two is the way I think about it. But, but God answers the prayer of faith. As Jesus tells us in Mark 11, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now, I'm not going to say any more about it now except to say that our prayers are not answered because of our effort or because of the way we hold our mouth, like gritting our teeth. Answered prayer is always a response to real faith. And the key here is to know that real faith trusts God to do his will. Now, that's all I'm going to say about that subject today, but I want to say some more about some other things. So it's by faith that we're able to do any of the other works that God has given us to do. The faith works. The faith in us comes out of us in the things we do. And so Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, told them, we remember before God and our God and Father your work produced by faith Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is God who assigns us our tasks, as Ephesians 2.10 tells us. For for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, faith works. Now, we all have spiritual gifts. Every believer has one or more, and and these gifts are from God. They're given to us. They're for the good of the church and to do ministry in general. And faith is what allows us to employ those gifts. But but faith, the works of faith are broader than that. So I want to give you an example of what I mean. A couple of years before I met my wife, Ann, I had a girlfriend. Uh, Don't tell her. She thinks she's the only one. Well, she is, right? <laughs> anyway, I, I met this girl uh, at a, a place. Her name was Susie, a place where I worked part-time. And she ended up uh, coming to uh, my growing up in the faith church, right? <laughs> Not allowed to call it my home church anymore. But anyway, she started coming to that church. And one Sunday morning, I'm heading uh, south on uh, Interstate 95. And in front of me was a, a friend of mine, Dave. And he was going to the same church too, right? And in the meantime, Susie's traveling north on 95. And all three of us exited the highway uh, at, at the same time. And we converged into a single lane. And Dave was in front of me. And Susie was approaching from the left. And she saw me. And she started paying attention to me rather than her driving. And so she unintentionally cut Dave off. And I saw him in a car shaking his head. <laughs> and uh, and Susie was flirting with me as we continued driving up the road, right? And she cut him off two more times out of the three miles that we had to drive to the church. None of them were serious uh, breaches, but they were enough to be irritating, and so they were. Each time it happened, the shaking of Dave's head became more exaggerated. And we came to a light where we had to turn left, and Susie turned left, and Dave turned left, still shaking his head. I followed. And then Susie turned into the church parking lot. And ah, Dave must have been thinking, well, maybe she's a Christian. He followed. I brought up the rear. Susie parked. Dave parked next to her. And I pulled in next to Dave. And Susie got out of the car. So did we. She walked right past Dave. Didn't even know he was there. 
Didn't even know she'd ever even cut him off. She came straight over to me. And Dave couldn't take it, I guess. He made some snide comment. And all of his irritation was on display. It ruined Susie's whole day. And she, she said to me something like, I guess I really upset him. And I said, don't worry about it. He just missed an opportunity to be gracious. The faith that enables us to see times like that for what they really are and to act accordingly is a faith that's real and that comes from God. Now, I don't want to be too hard on that guy. <laughs> I, I know what it's like. I wish I didn't. I do. I know what it's like to be irritated on the road. Sin still dwells in us, and, um, and it's still in our world, and, uh, and yet we walk through this life by faith and not by sight. And, and when we do that, we're putting in ourselves in a position where we are able to be gracious when the opportunities present themselves. The faith produces deeds. So our, our faith is uh, the way we walk. It's the way we make our way through this world. And by faith, all of our prayers are answered. And by faith, we do the things God expects of us, even the unexpected things. And then finally, the last way that faith works its way out into our lives is to bring, us, to bring about our uh, obedience. It is faith which produces real obedience. And Paul says as much in Romans 1.5, through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And then in 2 Corinthians 9.13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. From faith comes real Christian obedience. Now, I have to tell you, I suppose that I could have included this under the previous heading uh, instead of giving it a category all its own. But I think it needs to be emphasized. You see, one of the dangers that we face in teaching the truth that salvation is a free gift received by faith is that some people seem to think that means works don't matter. And they don't as far as salvation is concerned but they make a great deal of difference in, in how effective we are in living the Christian life. If it's faith that allows you to be truly obedient so that we, pray, we are obedient to God from our heart. Now, it's a sad truth that our culture has forgotten the importance of teaching children to obey their parents. So much sorrow and uh, sadness and frustration and disappointment and heartache in the lives of both the parents and the children come because moms and dads don't seem to realize that no one else can teach obedience to their children like they can. I mean, others can teach them to keep rules, but that's all they're doing. They're not obeying, not really, not from the heart. As soon as that authority figures out of sight, the rules are kept no longer. They don't make a difference. Parents teach their children to obey, obey, really obey, because of the connection of love. 
Our kids need to know the boundaries. They need to know what the rules are. We need to guide them, sometimes with a firm hand. We will be tested. But the thing that makes it all work out in the end is the love that exists between a parent and a child. The child learns to trust mom and dad. They've learned from their love that their parents are looking out for them. And they begin incorporating those guidelines, the rules, into their actions. And often, maybe even most of the time, they don't even realize they're doing it. And often we don't see it. (laughs) What we see instead is their failures. We need to learn to encourage those successes. And don't overlook the disobedience, address it. And then remind them who they are or who they can be. What parents want, or what they should want, is the obedience that comes from the trust built by their love into their children's heart. That's what God wants from us. He's not interested in rule-keeping for rule-keeping's sake. He could, but he doesn't enforce his will upon us, making us do what we had because we had no choice. He wants us to love him. And if we love him, we'll trust him. And if we trust him, we'll put our faith in him, then, then we'll obey him. Not just on the outside, but from the heart. As a parent, We must sometimes punish our children to get their attention, to to put them back on the right road. And that punishment helps them to understand the negative consequences of misbehavior. And it's better that they learn that when they're young and at home, where you're there to help them, than to heap the awful consequences of sin later in life or need the remedial intervention of the authorities. Parenting isn't easy, and it's not always fun, but it's necessary. And so then don't be surprised if if God treats us the same way. He is, after all, our Heavenly Father, and He wants our obedience. He'll discipline us as He needs to, but He's looking at our heart. He's looking at our trust and the results of His love for us and our love for Him. And when He looks at your heart, what, what does he say? What does he say? Faith works. We stand by faith. When we've done all we can do, we stand. We resist the enemy, not in our own strength, but by faith. We overcome the world that tries to sweep us away in its dissipation, and when the wave is gone, we remain. We overthrow the mountains in our life or we live in the shadow of them all by faith and all to the glory of God. Our walk is a walk of faith. By faith, our prayers are answered. By faith, we do the things that God expects of us, even the unexpected things that come into our life. And faith, real faith, brings about true obedience and obedience of the heart. Now, there are just a couple final thoughts that I'd like to close with. And the first is that faith is first. (laughs) Without it, uh, we cannot please God. But faith is a power in our lives, and we are called to live by faith and not by sight. And yet the faith itself is, is strengthened by 
the things that we do. James tells us in chapter 2 and verse 22, talking about Abraham, the man of faith, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. When you do the things God wants you to do, it makes your faith more whole, more complete, more full, more powerful in your life. Faith grows strong when we live by faith and do the things faith requires. And the second thing is is that your faith encourages me in my faith. It encourages others too. Paul wrote uh, this to the Romans in chapter 1 and verse 2, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So as you live your faith, it makes a difference to other believers. It makes a difference to people on the outside. And my final thought is to remind you that living the faith is not easy. Faith doesn't somehow take control of you and then do life for you. We're sinful. This world is sinful. The enemy attacks. We are in a battle and so Paul reminds his son in the faith, Timothy, in 6.12, in that first letter to him, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let me close with those same words spoken to you, my dear friends, men and women of faith followers of the one true God, servants of Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life you were called to when you made your good confession. Do that. Go out from here and win the victory for Christ and his king. Would you pray with me, please? Everything we need, everything we have ever needed and everything we will need, you have given to us. You have supplied our everything. You thought of it. You knew it before we did. When we pray, before we even ask, the answer is on the way. You are a mighty God, a good God. We love you and we worship you. And we pray, Lord, that we would realize all we need to do is act on the faith that we have day in and day out. And the world will not be the same because of it. And then you, will be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.